I believe that there's a few things that God showed and spoke to me that I'd like to share with you today that I believe is important for us to know. I believe the church has gone through two or three decades now of preaching and teaching about prosperity, uh, about God blessing us and prospering us. And I think even though God is the blesser and God is the prosper and he, every good and perfect gift comes down from uh, the Father of lights, I know today uh, that God is the one who supplies my needs. I have no doubt about that this morning. But I believe there's one fundamental teaching that we have really kind of let lacks in the last few uh, years, and that is how God will be with you in times of your challenges in life. In fact, that's what I want to talk to you today about is facing life challenges. Uh, Paul said in many times in other places in the Bible that uh, there are times that we are going to go through challenges and we're going to suffer. Aren't you glad you come to church this morning? Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to get to suffer. But I do believe this morning that whether you're a believer of 50 years or more, or whether you've been five days as a believer, that there's going to be times in your life when you're going to face challenges. I believe there's going to be times in your life that things come on us that we are not able to handle. And I I believe with all my heart this morning that we're quickly approaching a time when Christianity is not going to be celebrated like it's been celebrated throughout all of my life. That it's not going to be popular to be a Christian. That it's not going to be popular to declare uh, the word of the Lord or the name of Jesus. Uh, We see in our country where more and more they're trying to silence us from being called the children of God. I'm praying for revival in America. I'm praying for revival in the world. I believe the world is right for revival today. Amen. I believe that America is right for revival. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God does some of his best work in times of crisis. Whenever things are difficult, God does some of his best work. Let's just face the facts this morning. When we're happy and all's going well, we go to the lake house or we stay at the house. Amen? But when things are troubled and things are tough and we're facing crisis in our lives, we go to God's house. You won't hear very many amens, but that's the truth. Uh, Whenever things are going well, we go to the lake house. And when things are going tough, we go to God's house. And so uh, this morning, tough times in our lives are good for us. It's good that we go through tough times. How many times did your parents tell you growing up, it's good for you to get out and do this. It's good for you to, uh, you know, I've been told many times a day's work would kill me. My father loved that saying. But you know what? I grew up to work just like he grew up to work. Tough times are good for us this morning. The challenges we face in life produce something within us, and there are benefits to our challenges. I love what he said in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. He said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's uncommon to the modern church. That's uncommon to the modern Christian. What do you do when you're facing crisis? What's the first thing we do? Pray. 
Why do we pray? Because we don't want to go through those crises. We want God to come and take what I'm going through away. We want God to come in and say, I, I, I want to pray and say, oh, God, I'm feeling bad. I've been given this report. I'm, I, I'm facing this. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. And uh, God, would you just come and remove all of that? But lots of times God's saying, let's embrace it. Let's let it work its work in our lives. Let's embrace what we're going through. Romans chapter 5 3 and 4 says, not only so, but also glory, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance builds character. And character develops hope. James said it like this. He said, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that, the testing of your faith. I want to tell you this morning, your faith is going to be tested. He said, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Can I tell you today, you wouldn't be the person that you are right now if you had not faced the crises in life and the sufferings in life and the challenges in life that you have been through right now. You say, well, I go through some challenges I don't like going through. I've been through some, I'm facing some things I don't like to face. I want to tell you, Sister Deborah sitting back there uh, this morning that's had collarbone surgery from breaking it. And uh, Deborah, we'd rather not go through this. We'd rather just get past us by and let's just get over this. Uh, Faith sitting back here that's had breast cancer a couple of times. Faith, if we had our choices, we'd rather not gone through that. Uh, but I want to tell you that you become a different person uh, whenever that has worked its work in your life and you're able to look at somebody else and say, you can make it too because God will see you through. It works a work in you. The challenges that we face in life are to build us up, not tear us down. Whenever we're facing something, you said, oh, Lord, where are you? Why don't you care? Lord, why am I facing this? God's saying, just keep going. Keep going. I'm working. I'm working. I'm doing something in your life. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He said, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater value than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when, Jesus, when Christ Jesus is revealed. There's a reason that you go through tests. And it's kind of like being in school. You pass the test, you move on. You fail the test, you get to do it again. So it's important for us to embrace what we're going through. It's important this morning for us to really embrace what life is throwing our way. Because if we can, if we can pass that test, there's another level for us to move to. But if we fail that test... We're going to have to go through it again. My goal this morning is to help us 
prepare for the test so that whenever we've gone through the other side, there'll be praise and glory and honor uh, given to God for what he has seen us through. The one person in the Bible who is an expert in teaching us how to deal with suffering and challenges and persecution is the Apostle Paul. He suffered like few people have or ever will suffer for the cause of Christ, and yet he never, left, he never lost his faith, he never lost his vision, and he never lost his hope in serving God. I love that this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I've spoken over these verses oftentimes in the past, but this morning I want to read them to you as Paul is, is speaking about his own life. He said, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Now this is the 39 stripes that Christ received that almost killed him. He said five times. What they did was they took the cat of nine tails and they hit you 13 times across this shoulder muscle, 13 times across this shoulder muscle, 13 times down the back to destroy those muscles. So if they were going to crucify you, you wouldn't have the strength to pull yourself up, but you would suffocate there on the cross. He said five times, he said, I didn't hardly heal from one until they were doing it again. And then he said in verse 25, three times I have been beaten with rods, and once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea holding on to a plank, holding on to a board, and bobbing like a cork, a day and a night. Can you imagine how scary that was? Can you imagine what a dilemma that was? He said, I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews. Even the church was against Paul. In danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and been often without food. I have been cold and naked. What else, Paul? He said, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches that I have planted. He was an expert in suffering. He was an expert in telling us how to deal with adversity that we face today. You know, I think the one thing that we can learn from his is that there was something that was driving him. There was something today that was empowering him. I don't know of very many people sitting in congregation at Harvest Church this morning I don't know very many people that's filling the church pew in churches across America today that would have made it through what I just read you. I don't know very many people today whose faith is so strong, who is so driven by God, and that includes myself this morning, that would have made it through all of these things uh, without grumbling and complaining about where I was somewhere along that journey. I would have told God just how bad I feel. 
But then in, let's look at his final words when Paul was in prison. They come in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now set the stage here. It's Paul's last writings. He's writing to Timothy. He's writing to the church. And this is what he wrote. Awaiting his execution. I just read you a whole list of sufferings that he had gone through. The trials in his life he had made it through. But now we're facing one that we're not going to make it through. This is going to be the end of my life. In a couple of days, they're going to come and lead me out of this prison. They're going to take me out and they're going to lay me down and they're going to cut my head off. And so in my last writings, Brother Ford, this is what he begins with. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You may be going to kill me, but I want to tell you the power that God instilled in my life gives me the ability to face anything that you throw my way. There's nothing coming that I can't handle as long as God is by my side. He said, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of, he just stops and starts preaching this morning. He said, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But is now revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Who has destroyed death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of the gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet there is no cause for shame because, say these next, words, the next two words with me, because I know. Say it again with me this morning. Because I know. I want to tell you this morning, there's some things you can know. Regardless of what you're going through, there are some things you can know. He said, I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted unto him against that day. I know the one that I place my faith in. He's going to see me through. Paul knew some things. The scariest time in our lives is when we don't know. When we just don't know, when the doctor said there's something wrong, but we don't know. You have this, but the level of we don't know. Whenever somebody calls and said there's been an accident, but we don't know. And I'm telling you, it's the scariest time in our lives um, because the world is in a condition right now. And the church is in a condition right now that we really don't know what the future holds. We really don't know what tomorrow holds. The past 18 months in most churches, if you ask us what we're going to do, I don't know. 
What's going to happen next? I don't know. What's it going to be like when this pandemic's over? I don't know. And so the world today is sitting in a position that they just don't know what's going to take place. But I'm going to tell you, whenever you don't know, you better know the one who does know. You better be in contact with the one who holds the future. You better know the one that is able to make a difference in your life. Because I want to tell you, if you don't know, life challenges will wear you out. If you don't know God and you don't know he's in control, then life challenges is going to wear you down. Excuse my language this morning, but it will kick your tail. If you don't know God is in control in your life today and you go through times that you don't know, I want to tell you, it will wear you out. It will put you in a place of just total helplessness uh, because of fear and because of worry and because of anxiety. Uh, because people now are questioning everything uh, that's going on. They're questioning churches. They're, they're questioning economy. They're questioning home. They're questioning family. Uh, they're questioning businesses. They're questioning health. They're questioning everything that they face. You know, I think in the Bible there was one man that was probably head over uh, all questioners, and that was Job. Job had a lot of questions. Job had a lot of things he was dealing with. You know, the first two chapters of Job, you know the story, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but you know how... God, the Satan approached God and said, nobody here loves you. Nobody on earth lifts you up. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? And uh, he said, uh, there's Job. He said, that Satan said, if you give him to me, I'll make him curse you. Turn his back on you. God said, there's Job. You can have everything. You can touch him in every way, but you cannot kill him. You can't have his life, but everything else, Satan, you just tried because I know his heart. I know it's hard. He said, so there, there he is. So Satan took everything Job had. He took all of, it, all of his children. He took all of his money. He took all of his livestock. He took all of his welfare, all of his agriculture. Job was left with nothing but his wife. That was kind of comical to me. Satan looked at all of Job and said, we're going to take all this away. One of his angels come up to him and he said, hey, Satan, we didn't get his wife. He said, leave him, leave her. I got plans for her. That's all I'm going to say this morning. But he didn't lose his wife. And for the next 36 chapters of Job... Now, if you're reading Job, the best thing to do is read the first two chapters and the last two chapters. Just leave the 36 chapters in the middle. Uh, most of it is just uh, chaotic, questioning, dismantling, re reassembling. Uh, just question, question, question about what's going on in his life. And they were getting nowhere. Throughout those 36 chapters, they were questioning God and where's God and why did God do this and why am I facing this and why is this dilemma here and why, why didn't God do this? And if you love God, why is not God taking care of you? Till finally in the, 40, in the 38th chapter, when God had had enough, 
when God had listened to all the questions and God had heard all of the, uh, all of the dismantling and the reassembling that he was going to take, the Bible says in Job 38, 1, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, one translation said, out of the thunder. In other words, when God got ready to speak, he wanted to make sure that he got his attention. He wanted to make sure that people would listen, that people would hear him. And so he made it big. He just hollered out. When you call your children, do you whisper? No. Mary Ruth Maddox screamed to the top of her lungs. She said, Dale, Sammy, Donald Ray, and Kenneth, get in here. Get here. She wanted to make sure she was heard. And God spoke in a big way. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Who is this babbling around trying to say what I should do and shouldn't do? He said, brace yourself. I want to explain something to you. I want to explain it to you. It's kind, of, it's kind of like years ago, you know, people always worked. They bartered things. If I had something and I worked and you, you paid me with something you had, and if I worked, you worked for me, I paid you with something that we had. Um, you know, in our family, we, my dad's family, we traded milk and meat and vegetables and all of that among the, uh, the, the two brothers and their grandfather uh, there. They swapped things around. And it's kind of like this guy that the first time when checks first came out, he did a job and a guy brought him a check and handed him a check. And he looked at it and he said, what's this? He said, it's a check. He said, what do I do with this? He said, take it to the bank and whatever's on the front of it, Hand it to the banker and he'll give you your money. He said, I like that. I like that. So he goes to the banker and he says, I've got a check here. I want my money. The banker looks at it and he said, you see that vault? It's full of money. He said, we've got plenty of money. Turn this thing over and endorse this check. He said, what does that mean? He said, sign the check on the back. Sign your name. He said, I'm not signing nothing. He said, well, if you ain't going to sign it, I'm not going to give you your money. You can't get your money. He said, I'll just go down to another bank. And he grabs his check and to the second bank he goes. And he went in and he said, I want my money. The banker looked at it and he said, sure, we can give you your money. He said, just sign it on the back. I'll just endorse it on the back. He said, you mean sign something? He said, yeah. He said, I'm not signing anything. Well, this banker wasn't as patient as the other banker was. And he grabbed him by the collar and he slapped him in the face a couple of times. He said, sign that check. So he signed that check and the banker gave him his money. He took his money and he went down to the first bank and he said, see, I got my money. He said, did you sign something? He said, yeah, I'll sign something. He said, I told you you was going to have to sign something. He said, yeah, but you didn't explain it to me like that second banker did. And that's kind of the way God did God just kind of grabbed him, slapped him upside the face, and he said, hey, let me explain something to you, Job. Uh, let me talk to you just a minute. He said, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. 
38 chapter, verse 18 through 21, he said, Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the path to their dwellings? And then God just gets a little bit sassy. He says, surely you know. Surely you know all of this. He said, for you were already born. The God of all time is questioning uh, Job, who's, who's only lived a handful of years. And he said, because you have lived so many years. It goes on to the place that he gets to know a few things. In fact, tucked in this book of Job are three of the bedrock attributes of God. We find in Job chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, that Job begins to answer the Lord. And he said, then Job answered the Lord and said, Hey, I'm not worthy. One translation says, Lord, you're a lot bigger than I am. I'm not able to know those things. He said, how can I reply to you? He said, I even put my hand over my mouth. It ends like this, and I'll go ahead and tell you, as you already know, that, God, that Job was rewarded double for all the things and for passing the test. And, but he learned some things. Job knew some things. And that's what I want to get to this morning. Job 42, 1 through 5. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. He said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. There are three bedrock attributes of God that you are going to need to have a firm grip on whenever you go through life's challenges. The first thing you need to know is that God is all-powerful. You need to know that God can do all things. He is omnipotent. Job 2, 21 says, uh, Job 2 and 2 says, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, he said, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and... Read that last part. And in him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. If you're going to make it through life's challenges, then you better know that it is God who holds things all together. The song we sing as a child is, he holds the whole world in his hand. Uh, you got to know that he's the one that's holding you in the midst of your hand. 
It's very seldom this morning that I ever went into a room where a person was awaiting surgery. And I've told many of you this, that God has you in the palm of his hand. You're in his presence through everything that you are about to face, and he is in control. I know that God is in my situation, and that's what Job said. Job said, God, I realize now that you're all-powerful and that you have been here all the time, and you're working on my behalf. He said, I know, in 1925 of Job, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that, he had in, that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Can I tell you, I watched a little commercial during one of the football games. It's a commercial about some kind of hair product or something. I'm not really certain, but it said, always working. The guy says, I'm always working. He's here. He's there. He's everywhere. He's always working. Can I tell you, God's always working. When God's doing something... God's doing something. When he's working on your life, he's working. When he's healing you, when he's answering your prayer, whenever he's working out, opening doors and closing doors, God's working whenever he's working. But when God's not working, when your prayers are not getting answered, whenever things are happening that you don't understand, when it seems like God's not there, when it seems like everything's going on, but you're not really certain what's going on. And when God's doing nothing, he's doing nothing for a reason. God is intentional. He does everything for a purpose. Everything God does in life is for a purpose. And when he's doing something, he's doing something. And when he's doing nothing, he's doing something. 1988, you've heard my story, I'm not going to tell it all, but 1988, when life as I knew and had been taught to live it, fell apart. I was a bivocational pastor. Church I was at was doing real well. People were being saved. The church was growing. The business that I had was doing great. Just like that. Things changed. Church continued to do good. But I lost everything we had personally. You're talking about talking to God. I told God everything I was doing for him and what he wasn't doing for me. I asked him where was he? Could he not see what I was doing? But through that life's challenges, when it was all said and done, I can tell you today that I would not be here. I wouldn't be here where I am today if I had not passed that test. I would not be at harvest today if I had not trusted God and believed God was all-powerful and God was working on my behalf and I made it here today. But you know why I made it here? Because God wasn't doing anything on purpose. He had a plan for my life. Because if I stay happy, I stay where I am. And if I stay happy, I depend on myself to make a living. 
If I stay happy, I trust my business and my abilities rather than trust God. But because I found a time whenever God didn't intervene on my behalf and I had to walk through that trial uh, by myself, or not by myself, but I had to walk through that trial and it came to an ending I didn't want, God, it's kind of like that eaglet. You know, they build a nest, the mother builds a nest and lays eggs and they're born and they're hatched and, and they're sitting there in that little old eagle's nest and she has lined that nest with everything and it's all comfy and soft and, and we're just sitting back taking it easy and being fed every day. She brings them food, uh, there's a comfortable pillow there to kick our head back on and everything is good. And I want to tell you that's where the church is today. We have gone through such times of comfort. We've gone through such times of ease. We've gone through such times of no struggle, no strife, no battle, no, no war, no raging, uh, no, no real tribulation to go through, that we're just enjoying ourselves. But you know, whenever that mother eagle, she started picking out all of that fluffiness, all of that comfiness until all of a sudden, ouch, that stuck. It wasn't nothing but a stick there to lean back against. You get ready to lay your head there. There's not a pillow. There's a branch. And so all of a sudden you realize, hey, I'm getting out of here. That's what God's trying to get us all to do. Kind of like Karen taught this morning. God is trying to get up, to get up and go and do something for him. <clears throat> the days of sitting back in our comfort are over. They're gone, they're past, and the eaglets began to fulfill their purpose in life. And they began to fly, and they began to conquer, and they began to perform. You know, we grumble and complain about our situation sometimes, and God is trying to teach us something in the middle of that situation. But you know, Paul didn't complain about being in prison. He really embraced it. They said, well, we'll just throw you in prison. He said, good. I preached to that Philippian jailer again. Maybe this time I can win him to Christ. Just put me in prison. He said, well, we'll just throw you in prison. He said, well, if you put me in prison, that'd be a great thing because then I'll finish the last four chapters of my book to the Philippians and they'll be able to read about the joy of the Lord and they'll be able to rejoice because of how good God is. He said, well, we'll just kill you. He said, kill me because to be absent from this body is to be present with Almighty God, and you will have settled this dilemma altogether. He said, I'm not afraid of anything you can do for me. But I want to tell you, the attribute of omnipotence of, of, of the omnipotence of God is found in his word. It's found by reading the word. How do you know God's going to work on your behalf because he's worked on other behalves? How do you know God can do this for me because he's done it for others? How do I know that God is big enough, strong enough? It's because he's been big enough and strong enough before, and he'll do it again. But see, so many people have failed in recent years to get in the word of God and read it and find out what God is wanting to say to you in the midst of your life's challenges. Second bedrock attribute of God that you need to know is God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. How many of you have ever been in a conversation where you had a know-it-all? 
<laughs> yeah, I've got folks around the golf course whenever we just meet up. I'm bad, folks. I don't mind telling you, but I'll, I'll start a conversation just to see how big the story gets. I'll just say something just to get them started. Uh, but they, if, you, if, you've had, uh, if you've had five, they've had six. Yeah. You've caught 12, they've caught 20. Absolutely. It's always bigger. But you know what? God is the only one that can stand up and say, I know it all. I know it all. There's not anything that I don't know because I am omniscient. Job 42 and 3 says, Surely I spoke of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. 1 Corinthians 13 and 12 in the New Living Translation says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Just as God knows me completely. Sitting beside you is a person that you may be acquainted with. But unless you've been together for many, many, many years, you don't know everything about that person. But there's not a person here this morning that God doesn't know everything about. From Roger Borders over in the corner, God knows everything about him. Amen. Way back under Dennis, God knows everything about us. He does. He knows all about me. Brother Howell, he knows everything about us. Carlos, he knows everything. Ray, he knows everything about us. He knows us completely. And as you go through life's challenges, there are many things that you're going to learn. When you go through the challenges of life, there are some lessons and there's some knowledge that you are going to obtain. But I want to tell you this morning, you're never going to know everything. I can't tell you how many times I've walked up to a family and I said, there are questions that have no answers. There are some things that happen in life that we just don't understand. One of my friends called me yesterday and said, so-and-so had happened to a friend of ours. And I said, boy, you just don't understand it. You just never know. You just never get ready. You never get prepared. You never get to the place that you know that you know what's going on. Uh, you don't know what I'm doing. I'm checking the time. But God is all-knowing. He knows it all. And we're never going to know it all. But if you knew everything that God knows this morning, God would not be any bigger than your brain. If I knew everything God knows, he would fit inside this brain of mine, and that would be a pretty small God. But I'm glad God is all-knowing, and I must hurry this morning. Time is getting away. How big is your God today? 1 John 3 and 20 says, If our hearts condemn us, and we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. We're literally in a know-it-all generation. 
Everybody wants information. It's at our fingertips. If you want to know it, where do you go? You Google it. If you need to know how to do it, where do you go to YouTube? It'll tell you how. And so this morning, we live in that know-it-all. But I want to tell you, if you're a child of God, you're acquainted with somebody who already knows it all. You don't have to know it all. I want to tell you, some of the happiest people uh, in the world today are people who know very little. They simply trust God. They simply trust God. They simply hold on to God's hand. And the way you obtain that attribute of God, that God is omniscient, is through prayer. It's through praying. It's through talking with God to realize that whenever he answers your prayer, he knows what you're talking about. He knows how to lead you through. He knows how to unlock your door. He knows how to close that door and open another door. God is all-knowing. And you've got to get in prayer quickly, and I'll make the third point. God is always present. He's omnipresent. The attribute, the third attribute that you must absolutely get a hold to is that you're never going through life on your own as a child of God, but God is always there. Working or not working, God is there. Talking or not talking, God is there. Opening or not working, God is there. You're never in a place that God is not with you. He is always there. Job said, my ears have heard of you. But now my eyes see you. Hearing speaks of a far away God. Seeing talks about a personal God, a close God. This week, if you have time, read Psalms 139 in your devotion. It'll talk about all three of these attributes of God. It's a wonderful thing. Break it up in places, whatever you need to do. But Hebrews 13 says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. For we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I know God's with me, so I'm not afraid. Do you believe that, that God's never going to leave you and never going to forsake you? Do you believe that this morning? Yes, amen. If we believe that, then we can rest assured through our midst of our challenges uh, that we're not alone. Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 5. And thank you um, for sending me that message. I actually had Hebrews 43. And, boy, y'all would have looked at me funny if I'd have said that. You say, where's my Bible? I only got 12 chapters in Hebrew, but it's Isaiah 43. He said, don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. If God's speaking to you this morning right now, I want you to hear these words because God's talking to you. He said, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name, your mind. When you're in over your head, I'll be there for you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am your God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I prayed a great price for you. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. You know, sometimes I must close this morning, but sometimes God chooses not to change your situation. He just chooses to walk in there with you. 
Sometimes God chooses not to change what's going on in your life. He just comes along beside you and says, I'll walk through it too. I'll walk through it too. Whenever the three Hebrew children were thrown into the fire, God didn't keep them from being thrown in the fire. He just said, hey, I'll just get in the fire with you. I don't care how tough it gets. I'm there. Uh, nothing's too big for me and nothing's too powerful for me. I'm just going to walk through it with you this morning. You are never alone. Come on, man. Come on. When you're facing life's challenges, you need to know that God is there for you. You say, I don't know God's there. I, didn't, I don't know where God is. I, I just don't feel him in my presence. How do I know that God is there? The way you know God is there with you in the midst of your challenges is just begin to worship him. Just begin to lift up his name. And I want to tell you, you don't have to find God. God's going to find you. If you just begin to lift him up and worship him in the midst of your trials, you won't have to look for God because God's going to come looking for you. And he said, I inhabit the praise of my people. Praise God. He will. If you get in the word and you find out how powerful God is, you spend time in prayer and find out how much he knows about you, and if you begin to worship God and find that he is right there with you, then you'll be in a position where you can declare these words in Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon. No weapon. No weapon. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, saith the Lord, uh, because God is here. As long as God is here this morning, we're going to be victorious. Stand with me all over this congregation. I heard this song this last week, and I absolutely fell in love with it. It's a new song we probably have never sung before. I texted Ashley, and I said, hey, can you learn this song? I want to close the service Sunday morning with it. Sing these words with us this morning. Go ahead, Ashley. We put our hope in you. Oh, yes. So we put our trust in you. Yes, we across this place this morning let's settle this right now let's just go to the Lord in prayer and say God from this day forward I'm going to know that you are all-powerful I'm going to know that you know everything I'm going through I'm going to know that you're with me regardless of how I feel I know that you are working all things for my good God help me to depend on you and not myself 
Help me to put more trust in you every day of my life. Help me to know that you are always working, that I can become the best I can be for you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in the strong name of Jesus. And the church said, amen, amen. I challenge you today, wherever you go this week, whatever direction life takes you, brighten the corner of a dark world with a glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him praise this morning. God bless you. You are dismissed. Sing it again, Ashley.